Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Uh, As a pastor, there are those weeks that you kind of stumble into. And what I've, I've learned over time is to pay attention to those things. Like when, when you get um, crisis, when you have crises, is that how you say it? When like one person and then it's a couple and then it's a few others that are, are going through things that are a little a- abnormal and it's all kind of compacted in the same time frame, that I realize that, that there are things happening um, in our community, in our city, in our church that we might need to pay attention to and prepare for and speak into. And so this week I had already on Monday, this is amazing, check this out, Monday morning, went on a, on a run and I wrote my sermon in my head. It was awesome. It was like divine download from the Lord. It's, it was about, it's about slowing down for loving union. That's, that's part of the, the fifth principle of emotional healthy uh, spirituality. But we're not going to share that one today. I was ready for it, prepped all week for it, even this morning. And then the Lord said, pause that one, do that next week. So next week, I'm just going to slow down and chill. I'm off because I got a sermon ready. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Um, I, don't, I don't know who you are, 1115. We got to like warm up a little bit. Uh, so Wednesday morning, after a series of meetings and phone calls and dealing with some stuff, I recognize that there's some attack happening in our church. And, and, and how it comes out is it, it comes out through relational brokenness. It comes out through uh, sin that is highlighted in multiple places that aren't connected. And I'm just kind of letting you in on what I've experienced over the years is that I just believe that what's happening right now, and some of you are like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. Life's good. But others of you are going through a battle right now. And as one of this, a friend of mine who's a professional intercessor in the church, uh, she said, hey, Darren, here's the thing. You're either going into a battle in a battle or coming out of a battle. That's the cycle of Jesus and following Jesus in the world. But what I realized, and I was reminded of this this week, is that the world, our culture, society, our Western civilization would have us believe that there is neutral territory. That actually culture is not bending us in any particular direction. But what I have to offer you today is a biblical worldview would suggest that there is no, there are no neutral territories. It's either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. And why I need to say that is because it's biblical. But also because I believe we are being contested in how we view the world. That right now, what the world will offer, offer us is just check out on Netflix, have another second glass of wine, uh, get that self-help book, buy, get the right therapist, do the right yoga practice, have the right diet, keto this time. Next, last year it was Whole30, the year before that it was paleo, and now it's something else. And as long as you do those things, you will be okay. Things are gonna work itself out. Your marriage is off just add a little marriage therapy, get a new self-help marriage book, practice that new meditative running app or whatever it is, and you're going to be okay. Anyone else notice this? Is anyone else feeling like they're crazy? Anyone else feel like they've bought into this? And then they just apply Jesus to that same scenario. Like my confession is, oh, as long as I just do the right spiritual practice, then I'll be, I'll be healed of this anger issue. And what I was confronted with this year, or this week, this year, clearly this year, 
And I, I'm telling you this because I'm going to be very vulnerable and exposed because this is, I'm just preaching from this morning's word, fresh word for me, um, is I, I, I sent a text to some guys that I'm accountable to just with this long list of sin from this week. And it was massive. And I wept for 30 minutes this morning. And I was, conf- I was like overwhelmed. Like, how am I supposed to show up to work? Have you ever like had a bad day and you didn't want to go to work? And then you happen to be a preacher? Have you? Yeah. Oh, oh wait, that's, that's me. I go to my wife. I wake her up after she was sleeping in because I give her, I, get the, I take the monitors in the morning and I was out in my prayer room and I was weeping. I come back, baby, I don't know what to do. And she's like, hey, it's so cool because now it gives you empathy. Now you know how lots of people feel. Oh, yeah, you're right. And she's like, what you've realized, Darren, is that you've been trying on your own and Jesus is your savior. And I was like, gosh, we need a savior, don't we? And, and I feel like this is a moment just to bring us together, like circle the troops. Hey, guys, we're all in this together. I need to talk to you as church, okay? I need to tell you what's going on. As like maybe someone who just had their head lifted a little bit higher and say, okay, come in, we're gonna get together. I'm gonna encourage you this morning based on what some of the people on our team are experiencing. And some of you might not recognize what it is. It's spiritual warfare. You okay with that? Yeah. Next week, we'll slow down. This week, spiritual warfare. Which, by the way, slowing down is part of the battle, how we battle spiritual things. Anyways, we'll get to that next week. I don't want to get there. I want to talk about this. So we need a Savior. There's all sorts of, all sorts of things going on. I just want to give you a quick overview of, of this because some of you don't know this. And I want to show you in Scripture the importance of this because what we've done is we've applied a, a Western worldview over the biblical worldview. And so we take out things that are so clear and evident and theme, thematic in the Scripture to fit our worldview of Western society and culture. And what you see in the New Testament is that actually there are no neutral territories. You can't build the kingdom without the king of kings. But our culture and society would have us believe otherwise. And not just that, but a major theme that the gospel writers want you to know about Jesus's ministry is deliverance ministry. I want to show you that. So look at John 10, 10. So John chapter 10, verse 10, this is in the gospel. John, the author of this, says this. Um, Jesus is saying this. He says, the thief, the enemy, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus in the gospel of John said, this is what's going on. There is an enemy opposing your life. And I come to ha- so that you may have abundant life, zoe, salvation, eternal life is another way to say it. And what you have to know is that in John's gospel, John wants you to know that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He says that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 through 8, he talks about sin and he talks about, the, uh, go to 1 John chapter 3, uh, Uh, Verse eight, I think, is the verse, if you would, Sarah. Are you doing it? Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Um, Let's go to verse eight. I want you to see. So the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. So, and this is the John's summation of Jesus's ministry. And what you have to know is that there is, this this is what Jesus comes to do. He comes announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. God's reign and rule is present and evident. He's saying God's way of life is available for everyone. But what he's also saying in that very breath is there is another kingdom opposing God's 
kingdom. It's the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. What he's saying is that there are realities, spiritual realities at work in this world opposing God's good and beautiful way of life he's offering you. Are you with me? I got eight of you. Let's get it. Let's, Let's keep going. Come on. So, The reminder is that Jesus comes to bring abundant life, but there is an enemy working to destroy that. Now, he defeats the works of the enemy on the cross once and for all. There's all sorts of theology around this, but they are still alive and kicking against us because the kingdom has broken in now, but not fully yet. In other words, God's life is available here and now, but it's not fully here. How many of us are still dr- struggling with sin? How many of us know that there's poverty in this world? How many know that in our city there are, there's homelessness? How many of us know that there's hunger around the world and there's human trafficking? Many Jewish people today do not believe Jesus was the Messiah because of those things. Because they see in the Old Testament that nations will stop warring against each other. Peace will cover the earth. The knowledge of the Lord will be all, like over the seas, like, like knowledge will be all over the land. That, uh, the, the lion will lie with the lamb. That that's what they are expecting with the Messiah. And Jesus comes as the Messiah and brings that into here and now present life. But it's not fully realized until the second coming. This is just good theology. Are you good with this? And his task now is to commission us as now saints filled with the Holy Spirit, his presence to now bring that life everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, we will be contested by the opposing kingdom. Are you okay? You're not okay. That's okay. The point I'm trying to make um, uh, before I say it, why don't we just go, and, I, if you don't believe me, check out the book of Mark. Can we go to book of Mark? Mark chapter three. Just gonna give you a little little overview of the scripture. Mark chapter three, Jesus appoints his disciples in verse 14. He says this, or it says this, he appointed 12 that they may be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. This is Mark's fast-paced gospel, the summary of Jesus's ministry in the gospel of Mark that he gives to his followers and everyone that will follow him after. The summary is this, that Jesus sends out his disciples to continue his life, his ministry, and mission. And what was his ministry according to Mark? to preach the kingdom of God and to have authority to drive out demons. That's it. That's the summation. If you go on into Matthew and Luke's gospel, Matthew chapter four, here's Matthew's summation of Jesus's ministry and it's found in verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. So let me just say this, uh, because you gotta trust me on this, otherwise just read the Gospel of Luke. Matthew and Luke summarize Jesus' teachings, uh, summarize Jesus' ministry with three things. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom and teach it, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. That's the ministry of Jesus, period. So Mark, preaching, demon possession, being delivered. Matthew, preaching, healing, and deliverance, John, you with me? To defeat the works of the devil. That's just, those are the four gospels that we have and that's the ministry of Jesus. How are we doing as a church with the full ministry of Jesus? 
haven't we focused a little too much just on this thing that happens on Sunday? Or even in our life, like we're just, we just gotta share our faith, you know, and it takes like two years to drum up courage to invite somebody to church. Really? That's what sharing your faith is? The story is that you are invited into this epic story to continue the ministry of Jesus. He's expecting you through the power of the Spirit to walk into your workplace carrying the life of the kingdom, bringing deliverance if that's what's needed, bringing healing if that's what's needed, sharing the gospel if that's what's needed in the moment based on the mission that Jesus has for you because you have already been commissioned. But it seems like we've just settled for something comfortable and easy and soft, little consumer Christianity. We're just making Jesus in our own image. Nice and comfortable. 72 degrees, AC, of course. A headphone jack, a charger next to the, the cross that we're carrying. Make sure we can charge our devices. I know that's a little cheeky, huh? But it makes you, it makes you think about your life a little differently, right? That the expectation, the invitation is to carry on the ministry. And one of the things I see right now is that there is, um, there is a warfare going on. So I want you to lift up your heads because this is part of Jesus's ministry and this is what he sends you out into, right? Like think about, I'm just gonna, I, I didn't do this in the first service, but I, I was just thinking about this. This is such a great, oh, this is so good. Oh, Matthew chapter 10. Oh gosh, I can't believe I didn't do this earlier. You guys are the favorite service. Okay, so Jesus... <laughs> Jesus sends them out as you go in chapter 10. He sends out the seven, uh, the 12 disciples and then he commissions them. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick and those who are ill. Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Yes, we're going. And we're like, yeah, we love it, Jesus. We love you. We want all of those things to happen. Raise the dead. It's so good. And then he's like, okay, when you go, don't take any money. Oh, what? Hold on there. I know they have Chipotle downtown. I'm going to eat some food. Uh, don't take an extra bag for the journey or extra, sh- you know, it's getting harder. A worker is worth his wage. Uh, whatever town or village you enter, search in there for some worthy people. Search for some worthy people and uh, le- stay there until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your, what? Let your peace rest on? Like, what is he talking about? Like, I have this, this type of, I can change the atmosphere of the places that I enter. Whoa, Jesus, that's powerful. If they don't welcome you or listen to you, leave that place, shake off the dust of your feet. Um, It will be more bearable for them, judgment. And he's like, listen to this. Everyone's like, yeah, we're gonna bring peace, but no money, that's gonna be hard. And then he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Right? Everyone's like, yes, wait, what'd you say? What? Sheep, sheep among wolves, therefore be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over and flogged. Okay, so just, just want to wake you up a little bit more. So this is our commission. Not go and shop the best church you can find. Right? With a funny pastor and a three-point sermon on how to make my money work for me. The call is to die, and when you go, you're going to be a sheep among wolves. What, what do they do? I'm not even going to get into that. But that's the commission for every follower of Jesus. 
And do you think that the enemy is winning when we spend our lives on devices wondering if we're good enough? He's winning. Point number one is that there are spiritual realities working against God's way of life within us and around us. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're paying attention. There are spiritual realities, demons, demonic forces, impersonal, impersonal, working against God's way of life among you, in you, around you, because there's no such thing as neutral territory, according to the scriptures. So you can argue with me all you want. Let's go to the Bible on this one. Jesus came to defeat the works of the enemy, and a major part of his ministry is the ministry of deliverance. So that's what I want you to know, that there's a battle going on. So next time you think, uh, oh, this is just some conflict between someone who misunderstood me, not everything is a demon, not everything is a supernatural attack, but I want you to lift your head and start thinking, well, is there something else going on? Are there spiritual realities bringing up your past every time your wife is talking to you? Like, I was this morning, I was having a hard time praying, confessing to my friends, weeping, calling out to Jesus, and it was like in an instant, I had pictures of all these emails and words and comments and meetings that I've had for the last 12 years of being a leader in the church, of all the ways I was misunderstood, of all the ways I was hurt, all the ways I hurt someone else, all the times that I've been wronged, and it's like, I forgive you, but I remember it all the time when I'm weak. Anyone else struggle? Like Anyone else in an argument with your spouse can pull out an arsenal of weaponry that you've been carrying for the last 11 years? Like, I can't remember the list that she gives me that's five long at the grocery store. I'm texting her or calling her, whatever, to get it. And I can remember 12 years of conflict, marital conflict, in an instant. Now, one, I've been trained into it, right? So that's part of it. But two, there is an enemy whispering into our lives. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, we're getting there. Second, this is the, other, the only thing I wanted to share and then we'll deal with it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Look at Ephesians. I just wanted to give us some hope because Paul, in this beautiful letter to the Ephesian church, writes this great long story of who we are in Christ, what he's done in God, and here's how we ought to live. And he gets to this practical moment in Ephesians 5 where he says, hey, when you come together, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it goes off on what it looks like to be filled. And check this out. I want to give you a quick summary. I love Ephesians. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then what happens in a church is there's thanksgiving and gratitude in a worship environment where people are singing songs and hymns to one another and they're encouraging. And then the fifth part of what happens in a spiritual community that's filled with the Holy Spirit is they submit to one another. That's what it says, Ephesians 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is where the church comes together in the spirit. We're all submitting to each other. That's what it looks like. A spirit-filled church is a church that lays down its preferences, its well-being, its desires, its thoughts, its need to be right for the sake of its brother and sister. And Paul says, hey, wives, in the same way that everyone's submitting to each other, do that to your husbands. That's how it's written in the Greek. Wives, to your husbands, as to the Lord. What to your husbands? Submit to your, excuse me, your husband. I'm choking on that because I don't want to say it. <coughs> Wives, submit to your husbands. But because the other reason is it's so abused. This is what, this is what pastors and, and certain view of the church do. Oh, wives, your job is to submit. Well, let me just say the Greek, in the Greek, if I would put it up there, doesn't have the word submit in that verse. 
It's found in the verse previous to it, and it's broken up in our Bibles, and it should read, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, yourselves to your own husband as to the Lord. Just so you know, that's a freebie. Check it out later. That's actually in the Word. So what it's saying is, wives, do what you're already doing to everyone else because your husband's already submitting to you. You're submitting to him in a reverence for Christ. And then it goes on, husbands, love your wives as Christ of the church. Like Eugene Peterson says, uh, he, uh, every word evokes her beauty. Amen, amen. <laughs> amen. From the mouth of babes come praises to the Lord. But, hey, so, but, but what's great about this, this is so good, because the very next thing uh, after the wives and husbands, so we're getting into relation, our kids, hey, here's how you ought to parent in the spirit. So notice what he's doing. Here's how you interact with each other. Submit to one another. So the spirit comes and fills you, transform you. It starts inter- changing the way you interact in relationships. It ch- starts changing your marriage. And then it changes the way you parent and the way you do family. And then the next thing is slaves and masters, which is super weird. But in context, that was the dominant industry in Ephesus. So if it was in Silicon Valley, and it's different back then than it is now, but if it was in Silicon Valley, it would be like, hey, hey, the way you are doing business in Silicon Valley, Valley, let the spirit influence the workplace. You with me? And then it goes to this passage in Ephesians 6, where it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God twice so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand, twice again, stand in armor, your ground, and after having done everything, to stand. And then he goes on about the armor of God. So Paul, in this great letter, kind of ends this teaching with this idea that, hey, we're in this cosmic battle. And what we have to do is be aware of this cosmic battle. And our job with spiritual warfare is to first recognize that there is spiritual warfare. Second, to recognize that it's not against flesh and blood. So stop trying to find flesh and blood solutions to your spiritual problems. That's a freebie. And then third, what do we do with spiritual battle is we stand, we stand, we stand. We keep our ground. And the whole armor of God is a whole series we can do. I don't have time to get into, but I want to talk about the flesh and blood. Um, uh, what, what he says is our battle or our struggle, our uh, wrestling is not against the flesh and blood. Uh, it's against spiritual, and he lists all these things. And what I think he's doing here is creating language to describe spiritual forces of darkness that are working against us. So it's not like perfect categories, but what he says, I I think he's saying there are personal demonic forces that are working against you. Beings, fallen angels, you could say, that have uh, opposed God's will because they have choice and they chose to follow their own will or the will of Satan. And then there are um, uh, impersonal beings working. It's what impersonal, systemic nation influences that are influencing the the church and working against God's will. So we know, like for example, systemic evil, we can see that children are often the most vulnerable and exposed and uh, hurt when there's systemic evil. For example, human trafficking or slavery. Like so, I'm just gonna get real detailed. I don't see many youngsters here, but like porn, pornography, the porn world, 
is, is influenced by, um, by sex trafficking now and slavery. And so you have this massive evil industry, right? This massive industry that's supra-personal. It's not personal. It's just this big force. Like think of DMV, okay? DMV, like super massive. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? Nobody works in DMV, right? Okay, post off. No. Okay, so uh, these systemic things that don't work. <laughs> but you show up, and it doesn't matter when, what time you show up, it's still going to take the same amount of time, even if you have an appointment. So, but, so the individual is influenced by this systemic thing, right? That's what I'm getting at. But like with porn, it's like the, you have this like online private addiction that's funding children being taken out of homes in places around the world to be raised up as prostitutes that are put on display for people. Like, is that just not evil? And that's, that's, what, that's what I think Paul is like, hey, there's this cosmic force that's opposing God's will, and there's, pow- there's these like little creatures that are opposing God's will too. But um, it's all kind of wrapped up that our, our battle's not flesh and blood. And so let me just say this. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but it almost always feels flesh and blood, right? So we can't, we, we shouldn't go around going, oh, I'm engaged in spiritual battle with my spirit. Mm, what's happening most of the time in my, my experience, I'm speaking from experience, is that the enemy comes at you through relationship, through emotions, through, of course, health, physical, um, through your, your mind and your mental capacities, and of course, your spirit. And if we think spiritual warfare is just being attacked by the spirit, we ha- we're misunderstanding the way the enemy works against us. Does that make sense? So here's some thoughts. I, just, I, don't, I want a big disclaimer today. Not everything is a demon under a rock. You guys good with that? Yeah. Know that. Now, I want to give you a list of ways I see the enemy coming after us in our church. Um, and in my life, personally, I can speak. So number one is that the enemy is going to come after your identity. And this is a major one, okay? Enemy's gonna come after your identity. So he's gonna cause you to be insecure, be afraid, doubt yourself, doubt what God's spoken over your life. So Jesus is baptizing the Jordan. This is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. After doing nothing. Isn't that amazing? Before Jesus can do anything, he sits in his own belovedness for no good reason. But the very next thing is he's sent by the spirit to be tempted. And when he's tempted, what does the devil say to him? If you really are the boy, my boy, Prove it. And he combats it. That's a whole other story. But what the enemy tries to do is question, allow us to question our identity. Because it's in our identity that we recognize that we have purpose. We have power. We've been entrusted with much. We have unlimited heavenly resources at our fingertips that we can change the atmosphere when we step into a house, into a workplace, into a city that God wants to use our church to change the atmosphere, to change the stats in our city through ordinary men and women living in their identity. And what he does is he wins when he gets you to go out, walk into a room and go, does anyone like me here? Am I good? Do, does anyone notice that I'm wearing a different black shirt today? <laughs> I'm not thinking that. It's not different. Um. You don't have to buy me any color, by the way. I don't need color. So if you think God's telling me to wear white, that's not from the Lord. It's totally fine. Um, Thanks for those offers. I've just given them away. Um, But it's like when you start, when you walk in, uh, will will I know anyone here at the retreat? 
I get that's a real, rather than like, so what this does is it pushes us back to Genesis 3. See, in Genesis 1 and 2, humanity was given the ability to rule and subdue and, and live with, in partnership with God to steward creation. Our job was to cultivate environments for the rest of creation to flourish. And then we give it to Satan by not living in partnership with God. Then Jesus comes back, defeats the enemy, restores all that and gives it back to us and says, now in partnership with my spirit, you go into all the world, rebuilding this place, restoring, reconciling, renewing the cosmos on my behalf. And that's what you've been entrusted with. So when you go with that purpose and with that identity, and then you hear like a whisper from the enemy and you're walking around in Starbucks going, I'm so afraid to talk to this guy about my order. I'll have a non-fat latte. Thank you so much. Like that, what does it do? to the church. It cripples us. It breaks us. We're trusted rulers. And we walk around as victims of defeat. We aren't going to defeat anything. He defeated everything. And this is what's so important. Our victory is not you're more victorious. Yes, we are more than conquerors. That's biblical, but that's because of Jesus. We need a savior. We need to be saved. Are you with me? He's going to come after your identity. That's a big one. And he'll come after you with lies. He will. He is the father of lies. I love Romans 16. It says, soon the God of peace will crush Satan, the father of lies, under your feet. You know, I regularly, I've done this before here. I regularly write down the lies I'm told by the enemy on the bottom of my shoes because of this verse. Soon the God of peace will crush these lies of Satan under my feet. I do it. You should do that. Those of you struggling with insecurity, write those things down on your feet and stomp as loud as you can out of here. <laughs> that is a good one. Anxiety. He'll come after you with anxiety, fear, worry. He'll come out. A big one we'll talk about next week is busyness and distraction. This is where the enemy's winning, Right? Oh, man, if we really believe what I'm saying, we would walk around with such a confidence and authority everywhere we go, but instead we're just distracted by the next post, by the, what some new thing we have to consume constantly. This media thing is destroying us. And we've talked about this so much. Obviously, he's going to come after you with sin and temptation. He's going to come after your physical health. I don't think we realize how important that is. Like, and, and I know this is controversial for some reason, but what you eat matters. It impacts, it impacts your mind. It impacts your body clearly, it, but it impacts your, your emotions. Like we're, we're learning all this. Like cancer is a real thing and, and food is part of that problem. We just have to, at some point, this is just science, okay? And, and this, is, this is what we have, like one of the ways you can fight the enemy is not giving in to the temptation of food. Is that, I know that's gonna be like, what are you saying, diet? I'm like, yeah, eat well. Choose to eat food that doesn't make you more depressed or cause more inflammation and sickness. And I'm, I'm speaking from someone who had a body image eating disorder growing up who has always used food to comfort himself until recently. Well, it got real quiet real, real quick. Okay, that's, that's, that, I, we should probably do a series on that just to show you the importance of this, that when we die and are, we have new bodies, they're called bodies, it's physical bodies, okay? We're gonna have, we're not floating around Caspers in the new creation. <laughs> right? 
I gotta take notes about this stuff. Okay, um, I'm gonna talk about our church in a second. How are we doing? We're good, we're good on time. So he's gonna come after your relationships. He'll cause you to isolate. He'll cause you to take, um, to when, you, when there's misunderstanding, the enemy will use that and miscommunication to create doubt and then create um, a type of distance. So whenever someone says, oh, I'm just going to take dis- uh, distance from that community after conflict, um, I say to them, isolation, if you isolate, you're sick. That's what I say. So if there's conflict and you're in a community and you're like, I'm just going to get some time from them, like, if you're not pressing through the conflict first and then reconciled and then saying, okay, I'm gonna take a break, then you're not actually doing what you should be doing. There's a lot of church shopping and hopping and switching, and I get that that's part of our culture, but honor the churches you come from when you leave to just say, hey, I've chosen this journey, but make sure that you're not doing it in reaction and they're not, not, you have, you've talked through everything when you can. Now, a lot of churches you can't do that because there's not meaningful relationship, Right? So it's just, you're just someone that's attending, but I hope you never see that as church ever again. I hope that when you're part of this church, you recognize that you can't just show up to Sunday. You have to be in house church, which launched September 16th. I hope you know that life is shared around table. And so when there's conflict and you, you're, you're pulling back, that you're like, oh my gosh, that's the enemy. I gotta go back, press in and take that cup, grab some bread and say, this is what we believe. Let's, let's work through this. One of my favorite stories is a couple in this church, one they disagree with the stance I had. Um, and it wasn't really a stance, it was a perspective that I had. And um, they were, we, were, we were talking back and forth via emails and they were getting heated and, and it wasn't that bad. But they, they said, hey, I just wanna meet in person. And what they did is they brought communion. They said, before we talk, can we do this? And it was the best conversation. I'm like, I'm gonna do that every time there's conflict. It's amazing, we should do that more. So uh, the enemy comes at us with bitterness and anger. Marriages, can I speak to this? Um, one way that the enemy comes after you is you become a roommate with your spouse. It's a silent killer. Kills your intimacy over a long period of time like a leaky faucet. And you've managed businesses together, you've managed schedules together, and, and then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, there's no sexual intimacy, there's no romantic pursuit anymore, and you've become like a roommate. And I think that, that happens over a long period of time. And how do you get there? Busyness, obviously. Um, anxiety, worry, fear, stress. Those are all ways that we play into the relationship. But I also think pettiness and arguments um, that go on without forgiveness, real forgiveness. So the truth is it's unforgiveness. And because there's, there's no time together, there's no intimate time to, to really heal from our arguments. We haven't been given patterns, maybe because of your past, maybe because of your family of origin, all those things. But we carry on unforgiveness and that creates a wedge between us and our spouse that the enemy just uses all the time to fuel that wedge. For, so you become further and further apart. And the key is to learn to forgive very fast. Bill has been helped, Pastor Bill has been helping my wife and I for the last 11 years. Because we both hold on to things for a long time. And we make each other jump through hoops to, for, to really forget. Oh, do you really mean it? Like, and, but do you know that it meant this to me? But I know you know that. But do you know it means this as well? And when you said that, it brought up all these other times that you didn't say you're sorry. So can I just say pettiness in marriage needs to go. Forgiveness is the way. And let me just say this too. This is all free. You guys are so welcome because you're into my life. Um, uh, there's no scoreboard when you get married, okay? So 
the biblical marriage is you don't keep record of wrong or right. So like when you're in a relationship and you're like, but I had the kids alone for six hours and you were getting a massage or whatever and like getting prayer with your girlfriends and you had a date, you know, you went out with them on Tuesday and it's my turn, it's third. There's no scoreboard. Because when you lay down your life, when you serve, you're both winning. But what we do is the enemy comes in and be like, hey, she was out late on Tuesday. You put the kids down alone. It's a hard thing to do. <laughs> so now you got one. She's got zero. Hold that in your back pocket. So when, she, when, when you're exhausted, you're like, and you're tired from helping set up a baby shower or anything like that, you might... <laughs> You might use that fuel against her, right? No, no, no one's done that, right? Nobody's done that. This is all, some friend of mine was telling me this story earlier. But that's what the enemy does. He loves to keep a scoreboard and compare and to make you so busy that you don't have time to connect on a deeper level. And I, I wanna say this to the married couples. Sex in marriage is spiritual warfare when it's done honoring well when you honor each other well and practice the, sometimes the discipline of sexual intimacy, it is spiritual warfare because the enemy wants to divide you across the board. Now, husbands, don't be shouting amen, okay? Because here's the deal. <laughs> the image that we have of what sexual relationship looks like, a healthy sex life looks like in marriage is Paul's language. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. So if you're not laying down everything for your wife, including in, in the bedroom, laying down your expectations, your sexual intimacy. You're not honoring your spouse the way God intended it. I know this is so weird, but I feel like I'm, I'm challenging the sexual distortion that's in our church, that's in religion and in the church. And we need men to love and be pure and stop blaming their wives for their lust issues. And we need men to fight that battle in the spiritual realm. And now it it's also gonna come in a practical level, but recognize that the enemy's planting seeds and trying to create divide. Is that okay? Is this good? Good, I, I just wanna, you're welcome. Um, we'll talk about children, we don't have time for that. So there's so many other ways. <laughs> Let the little children come. No, we don't got time for that. Okay, real quick on kids. Do we have parents? Yeah, we have parents, all the parents here. Okay, the enemy will come at you through your kids. Now, now hang with me, okay? They're not possessed. They're toddlers. But here's what happens. Like, having kids, little kids, is hard. It's hard. It, it wears you out, okay? Because my son will sleep for four hours, you know, and have jet lag and be up for the entire day expecting me to play after a long day of work or whatever. It's exhausting, and I am pushed to my limit every single day and I have a spouse helping me some of you are single moms you don't have a break it is you're exhausted so when you're exhausted how can you think oh I'm going to engage in spiritual battle by being patient when you literally haven't slept right but that's exactly what the enemy wants to do is keep you exhausted so you lose it on your kids and continue the cycle what happened to you most likely and that's what I'm realizing is that actually I'm just repeating the past unless I choose to not do what my parents did or my, my dad did or whatever it was, you know? So that's one of the ways that the enemy's gonna come at you is through distraction. Do you guys know that a distracted parent, the science has proved that distracted parents create rage in children when they're present? 
almost more than anything else. Oh, let's give people a phone, infinite everything, and let them be parents way too young and be on their phone when their kids are asking. All Ezra wants me to do is play with him. And he knows the power of the phone. So we regularly have to put boundaries. So, but as far as, as, far as spiritual attacks, uh, one of the things we see we're paying attention to this week, Ezra had four nightmares. Now, I pushed him off. He's never really had nightmares, but it was the same demonic figure four nights in a row. That's when I realized something's going on in our home. And I just, we took authority, prayed, and he hasn't had a, a demonic dream since that night. Uh, the last night it happened. Um, but I think some of us have to recognize there are spiritual things going on. We need to pray for our kids. And it impacts our family. Is that okay? I had more to say about this, but I'm gonna, you'll listen to the other podcast. So all I'm wanting to say is we're in a battle. And remember that you're either going into a battle, you're in a battle, or you're coming out of a battle. So that means for the body of Christ, you're either getting intercession or interceding. All right, so church, wake up. Wake up and stand your ground and do your part, okay? The last thing I wanna say about the way the enemy's gonna come, he's coming after our leadership. This is how the enemy wants to destroy churches. And you see it on a major scale across the United States right now where pastors through pride have churches of 15,000 that dissolves overnight. Pastors have sexual sin and cover it up and we don't believe women, which is crazy to me, or men, by by the way. And we're corrupt, we hold the power and we're prideful and we're, we're trying to keep this thing alive, but this thing is never supposed to be the thing. It's supposed to be flesh and blood, life here and here around the table, and it's just destroying the witness. So enemy's gonna come at us, and he's gonna come after our leadership. And I shared this in the first service, and I wanna say it again. Garden Church, those that call the Garden Home, you should be fasting and praying for the elders of the Garden Church. They are spiritual covering over our church. And um, you don't realize the amount of care and stress and pain and love and trial that they've gone through over the last nine years. And we've ha- we have a bunch of elders. We'll bring them up on stage in the, in, the, in the fall. But you should be fasting and praying for your staff and for your elders because they are leaders who are, it's biblical, like you should honor them because they are cov- there's a spiritual covering that they have in our marriages, in our purity. I say to our elders our, that we will set a cap of spirituality, of marriage health, of purity for the church. I believe that. That sounds weird, but that's my belief, that I want to be on fire and keep pushing people to be on fire. And our, our elders are going for it. They're confessing their sin. They're holding each other accountable. They're walking. They're leading house churches. They're walking with people in crisis. They're, doing, they're preaching. They're teaching. They're doing the stuff. And I want to invite you to pray for our leadership. Sound good? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.